Thank you for your good singing today. Would you open your Bible with me to a text in 2 Timothy, the second chapter. The second epistle to Timothy, and chapter 2, right at the very end of the chapter, beginning with verse 24. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This morning we want to think together about the snares of Satan. Through the summer we have arranged our messages around the theme SOS, urgent messages from the Word of God, and nothing is more urgent than that we learn something about our enemy. And he is quite concerned that we not do that, and I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Lord, as we come to study your Word this morning, we pray that the enemy will be unable to interrupt or to interfere but will be held back so that we can learn what you would have us to learn and see that applied to our lives as the Spirit of God knows that it needs to be. Be our teacher this morning. We wait upon you and claim the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross and his tomb from where he rose from the dead. Amen. I was watching a documentary this past week about serpents. And I was intrigued by one particular serpent that has a very flexible tail. The way that it captures its prey is to get into its coil to strike and then to lift its tail and to begin wiggling it and it's so flexible that it looks like a worm. Now the snake does this when he's in the presence of a frog, for example, as was the case in the documentary. And the frog watches this tail moving and begins to believe that it's a worm and edges ever more closely to it until finally he leaps on the worm only to find that the snake strikes at the same instant, killing him and then swallowing him. As I thought of that illustration, I thought how appropriate for what I'm talking about this week in the snares of Satan. A snare is a trap. It is a way of capturing a prey. The Bible tells us that Satan has devised many different kinds of snares that he might take us captive. One such text is the one we've just read, and frankly, it's not clear in the context whether it's speaking about believers who've been taken captive by him or unbelievers. I tend to lean toward the latter, but I think it may be left ambiguous because believers as well as unbelievers can fall to the snares of Satan and be taken captive. You and I need to be aware of the snares of our enemy. 
This morning I'd like to talk about some of those snares, and because there are literally hundreds of them, we need to group them, and so that's my intent. I want to congregate them around four subtitles this morning as we think about the snares of Satan. We'll have time to talk about a few specific ones, but by no means will we exhaust this subject in one message. Your pathway and mine is plotted every day with snares which Satan would use to destroy our freedom and joy in Christ and our usefulness to God's kingdom work. A snare results in one being held captive. He cannot proceed. He cannot do what he wants to do because he is held fast by it. Avoid the snares of Satan. Don't be fooled because he never delivers what he offers, just like that snake who offers the unsuspecting frog what he thinks is a worm. Because the result when we fall for Satan's snares is inevitably bondage. The first group of snares I want us to think about this morning is the, the snare of false teaching, because that's really the context where we begin in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is concerned about false teachers who are present around the congregation in Ephesus where Timothy is the pastor. And so he tells Timothy how to go about counteracting the false teaching in his midst. He is to be characterized by gentleness and teaching and patience and so on, so that if uh, God is willing, those who are in opposition to the truth may come to a knowledge of it and escape the snare of the devil, whom he says holds them captive at his will. Satan hates the thus saith the Lord. He hates the preaching of the Word of God. He hates the doctrines of God's Word. And he will do anything to deter you from learning and believing what the Word of God says. Now, if he can't keep you from hearing the Word of God, and he's very clever at doing that to us, but if he can't keep us from hearing the Word of God, he will then attempt to adulterate the Word of God, to water it down or to compromise it with some false ideas. That's very dangerous to have some truth and some error mixed together. That was the case undoubtedly in Ephesus and Paul's concern as he writes these words. Wherever Paul went preaching the Word of God, seeing people come to Christ and establishing churches, Satan was inevitably right behind him sowing lies and false teaching, seeking to adulterate the Word of God and thus to hold in bondage and captive those new believers. And he hasn't changed today. Many of those who join cults in our country are people who have come to Christ but who are very immature, who have received no teaching, and who are easy prey to him in false teaching 
and they are snatched up into the cults and held captive by them. Paul warns about the last days being characterized by lots of false teaching. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, written a few years before the epistle we've just read, but when Timothy was undoubtedly pastoring in Ephesus, and he says, but the Spirit explicitly says, now notice that this continues Paul's thought. In the end of chapter 3, he is describing sound doctrine to him. And he gives to us an early confession of faith. Some even call it a creed of the church in an embryonic form in verse 16 of chapter 3. But, Paul says, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from this faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What Paul is saying is that there are spiritual uh, entities, Satan's spirits, angels who fell with him from heaven, whose goal and purpose working among humanity is to create new religions and new ideas. These teachings and doctrines of demons are then whispered in the ears of people and scattered throughout humanity. That's why there are so many and various religions in the world. What we believe determines how we behave. If we begin to believe error in some respect, that will inevitably, eventually be worked out in our lives. That's why it's so important that we keep coming back to the Word of God to test what we hear by what the Word of God has to say. If we become a follower of false belief, we will eventually become a liver of false doctrine. We will live it out in our lives. One of the snares of Satan is false teaching. Now, this morning I'm going to do something that's risky. I'm going to talk about some false teaching in our world today. I'm going to have to do this briefly... That's why it's risky, because one can't say everything that he might regarding some of these things. But I lift these as examples so that you might be forewarned. One of the most popular books selling in Christian bookstores these days is one that's called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. The same author has authored one called The Anointing. His name is Benny Hinn. Now, I mention him specifically because he's coming to the Twin Cities for some kind of a rally or meeting in the next few days. Now, the most recent issue of Christianity Today tells us that Benny Hinn has repented of his false teaching. This is the third time he's repented of it. I hope it's true this time. He is a pastor of a large church in Orlando, Florida. He is in the charismatic circle. And uh, even his fellow charismatics reject some of the doctrines that he has come up with and which he has inserted here and there in the books that he's authored. Perhaps one of the tests as to whether he's truly repentant will be whether he 
at least revises, if not removes, some of his books that are now selling to Christians across this country. The anointing basically is about being slain in the Spirit, which is a teaching foreign to the Word of God entirely. There is nothing about that in the Bible. And yet it is sweeping many charismatic churches. I hope Benny Hinn is changing. Time will tell. But be careful if you pick up a book that is authored by him. Don't accept all of it without testing it from the Word of God. Time doesn't allow me to mention Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Robert Tilton, who are among the prosperity gospel preachers and who insert constantly in their messages teaching that is contrary to the Word of God. In a certain respect, coming out of a different element of uh, Christianity, the Reformed circles, is a teaching called Restructionism, Reconstructionism, or Kingdom Now Theology, or Dominion Theology. You may see books by Gary North or R.D. Rushduni. Their basic teaching is that we need to go back to the laws of Moses and apply those to society today, and in doing that we will eventually bring God's kingdom on the earth and Jesus then will come again. Well, that is foreign to what the Word of God teaches us. This past week, one of the most popular figures in all the world has been in the United States, in Pope John Paul. We would agree with many of the values that the Pope declares. I am glad that he says some of the things that he does in our leftist-oriented uh, society. It helps all of us. But the fact is that he represents a system of doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church which is in error. And this same Pope has declared that snake worshipers, witch doctors, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, all worship the Christian God. They just call him a different name. Is that true? The Word of God would not agree with that. In Africa, he told voodoo leaders that they, quote, would not betray their traditional faith by converting to Christianity. Close quote. That's an absolute lie. You cannot turn to Jesus Christ and still embrace the teachings of voodoo. That is not true. I don't have time to talk about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, which would be more commonly agreed upon by us as cults. Christianity is being infested with New Age teaching. In fact, in today's St. Paul newspaper, there is an article entitled, Meditation Revolutionizes Mainstream Prayer Life. And what it says is that many people in mainline, that is, liberal denominations, are finding their prayer lives revolutionized by getting into meditation, borrowed from Eastern mysticism, Zen Buddhism, and Hinduism. They're mixing that with their Christianity. It's false teaching. You can't mix that with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, I could go on. Time doesn't allow that. But what I'm illustrating to you is that out there in our world today, there are hundreds and hundreds of snares of Satan. Doctrines of demons. 
by which some Christians are held captive by Satan. We need to be aware of the snare of perverted teaching. Test what we hear by the word of God. Then we can't be wrong. Beware of the snare of false teaching. Whether it was Corinth or in the churches in Galatia or in Philippi or in Ephesus, Wherever Paul went preaching the word of God, Satan came right along behind him with false teaching because he knows that false teaching is so effective in capturing the minds and the hearts of people, just as it is in the day in which we live. Now, second category of snares would be that of fleshly temptations. So let me talk this morning briefly again about the snare of fleshly temptations I invite you to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2. And let's pick up the reading in verse 10. A bit of background. You may remember that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church telling them to discipline a man who had grossly and publicly sinned. They were to remove him from their fellowship and have nothing to do with him, the goal being that he might repent. Apparently, he did. But they were reluctant to forgive him and to receive him back. They wanted him to suffer. They were refusing to forgive. And so Paul says this, But whom you forgive anything... I forgive also, for indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Paul is saying, I have forgiven this man, you need to forgive him too. In order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now the word schemes here means a well thought out plan. You and I can be set up by Satan. Now when I talk about Satan, let me just back up a moment and say to you that I'm talking about a real person, personality, a spiritual personality who exists in our world and who is accompanied in his work by an innumerable group of angels who fell with him from heaven. When the Bible talks about Satan, it's not talking about merely an evil influence. It's not using this term for just bad people who live in the world. It's talking about a fallen spirit who oversees a hierarchy of demons. Sometimes when Paul uses the word Satan, he's referring to the the whole system as here. We're not ignorant of Satan's Schemes, his well-thought-out plans. You see, Satan studies us to find our weaknesses. And then he plots against us that he might create a snare that will cause us to be taken advantage of. Here we find a group of people in the church in Corinth who didn't want to forgive. They were bitter about this man. Paul writes to correct them. 
that was their temptation. But shall we talk this morning about the fleshly temptation of anger? Shall we talk about the fleshly temptation of taking vengeance on our own? Or lust? Or jealousy? Gossip? Hatred? Malice? Drunkenness? Addiction to drugs? Idolatry? All of these are the works of the flesh, the Bible says. That pattern of attitudes and actions that arises from the sinful person that we are in Adam. Even when we trust Jesus Christ and we're no longer in Adam, we still retain that imprint of the old man on our personalities, that flesh, the scriptures call it. And you and I can fall into the lusts and the fleshly temptations that anyone else in the world can. Satan is at work today devising snares to entice you and he knows exactly what your weaknesses are. And he plays on them. And he devises clever schemes by which he can lay out a snare that you step into and bam, you're got. And you're held captive. Perhaps the time for greatest vigilance is when we think we're strong. It was a privilege to attend the Promise Keepers conference a couple of weeks ago in Colorado where 50,000 men were gathered together at a stadium in Boulder. One of the, the greatest experiences I've ever had. One of the speakers was a pastor from Southern California named Greg Laurie. He was talking about temptations that commonly face men and expressing some of his own battles. And he said this, when the devil comes knocking at my door, I simply say, Lord, would you mind getting that? When fleshly temptations appeal to us and we're tempted to step into the snare, that's the point to appeal to God. Say, Lord, would you mind doing this? Would you mind taking care of this situation for me? And backing up away from that snare. Life inevitably includes many trials which are intended by God to be tests of our faith and our character. But these very tests can become opportunities for the devil to subvert God's good intention. <clears throat> he will enter into <clears throat> excuse me, our trials and will devise around that time of test a temptation to evil. Maybe a shortcut, a way out of that trial that wouldn't be God's will. And he says, oh, do this, it'll be a lot easier. And of course, his intent is to derail our walk with God. To get us to step into that snare and it, it holds us fast. Beware of the snares of fleshly temptations. And then there is a third category that I must talk about. It is mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I invite you to turn there to this chapter which lists for us 
the qualifications of elders, spiritual leaders in the church. Now what is said here about elders can be applied to all of the rest of us because it says, and he, verse 7 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The snare that I see here is the snare of hypocritical living. That is, when we allow ourselves to say one thing and to live another. That's a snare of the devil. Eventually, he will cause that snare to trap us and we'll be caught. When we get involved in the snare of hypocritical living, we are set up for a fall that can destroy our lives, our testimonies, our families, our work for God, and our future. Oh, this is an effective snare. You think about the people that you know in public ministry in particular, because they're, they're so obvious, who have been involved in saying one thing and preaching one thing and living another, and what eventually happens... At some point, Satan yanks that snare, and they fall and they take with them lots of people. Beware the snare of hypocritical living. You don't have to be in ministry to be worried about the snare. Now, the fact is that no one of us is perfectly consistent. We all know a lot more than we live. But what I'm talking about here is when we purposely live a lie. When we say we're doing one thing and we're actually doing something else. Hypocrisy is when there is a dichotomy between what we are claiming to be and what we're actually living in secret. It's not that we're all consistent, because we're not. But the point is, we ought not to be pretentious. We ought not to pretend to be something we aren't. We ought to be transparent, at least with some people who know us well. And perhaps that's the best way, in fact, to avoid this snare. To find a, another person or a, a small group of people that are trusted. And with whom we can develop a relationship of transparency so that we can allow them to help us with our struggles, our inconsistencies. And we can help them. The danger is when we think that we're above the need for others, or when we think that we are above others, because none of us are. The snare of hypocritical living. Beware of that snare. Recognize that there is inconsistency in all of us. We all know more than we live. But don't purposely go out to live a lie. That's hypocrisy. And that is a snare of the devil. There's one more snare that I want us to look at this morning. And it's perhaps one of the most tempting ones in our culture. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 7. 
We have brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by wandering or longing after it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang, a pain. Here I see the snare of temporal priorities. Our priorities are those things that we exchange our life for. It's not always what we say our priorities are. Our priorities truly are measured by what we give our lives to. What we exchange our time for. Our money for. Those actually reveal our priorities. And here, the priority that is warned about is the priority regarding material things. The Apostle says we ought to be content if we have food and clothing. Learn to be content. Beware, he says, of the snare of wanting more and more and more. Beware of the love of money. He says it corrupts and it leads to other vices. I wonder if there is a greater snare for individuals and couples and even teens in our culture than falling into a lifestyle and a way of making decisions where Jesus Christ is not number one, but where having more means everything. Satan is quite content if you and I will make Jesus Christ priority number two in our lives. You know why? Because he's got number one to work with, whatever it is. It may be money and material things, as he's warning about here, or it may be a host of other things. He doesn't mind if Jesus Christ is number two because he can always work with number one, and he will. He will use that as a snare. And when we allow temporal things to take over place number one in our lives, Satan is leading us to a trap. Someone gave me a little statement a couple of weeks ago that says, I make myself rich by making my wants few. I like that. I make myself rich by making my wants few. Isn't that the secret of contentment? How easy it is for us to lust and yearn and long to have more toys, grown-up toys to play with, or to have bigger this or more luxurious that or more of this, do we really need that? Are those wants that are necessary for our lives, or are they lusts for what's unnecessary? The snare of temporal priorities. Now, as I said before I began this list, other snares can be listed. But it seems to me that these four categories that I've tried to bring forth this morning are 
among the most common and the most serious in our culture. These are snares that hold fast people without God. Satan seeks to drag them from the snare to the pit. But I can assure you that these snares are used on God's people as well. Every one of them. I suppose that all of us have heard stories of the Vietnam War that cause us to shudder. There were some cruel ways of carrying out warfare there in the jungle by the Viet Cong. We had the gunpowder. They knew how to fight in the jungle. They had the will to win. We didn't have the political will to win. One of the weapons devised by the Viet Cong and used to create terror in our troops was a snare. As old-fashioned as it could be, a simple snare. They would take a cord of some sort and lay it out on the trail that they knew our soldiers would be coming down. And then they would cover that with some kind of a jungle thicket, a flooring of of some sort, ferns, whatever, was at hand. And they would attach this snare to a limb that they had bent so that when one of our soldiers stepped into the snare, it would immediately upend him But the limb was bent so that it would also cause the soldier's body to swing. And it would swing into sharpened bamboo stakes that were waiting to pierce the body of the soldier. And time after time, soldiers would step into these snares and would find themselves killed by these sharpened stakes. That's a terrible picture, and you can imagine the kind of fright it would create if you had to walk down a jungle trail. Listen, my friend, you and I are on a pilgrimage in a world that is filled with devils. We have a spiritual enemy that is laying out before us all kinds of snares. We do well to learn what they are and to pay heed to them. Say, well, how can I learn the snares? Get in the Word of God. That's the only way I know. Get into the Word of God and learn the tactics of the enemy. And as you learn how he operates, then you'll be forewarned. You'll know where to step and where not to step. But I may be talking to some dear people this morning who are caught in snares. You see, we know when we're in a snare if we can't make progress. Because a snare holds you back. Just imagine that rope around your foot this morning. You're trying to walk and you can't go anywhere because you're caught in a snare. You're in a spiritual snare this morning of some sort if you're not making progress in your Christian life. If you're being held captive by Satan to do what he wants you to do, you're ensnared. Now call it anything else you may want to, but recognize at its heart what it is. You're caught. How can you be free? I only know of one way. 
And this one way works whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian who is caught in a snare and a terrible habit. If you're in a spiral going downward in your life and you don't know how to get out of it, there's an answer. If you're a Christian who's caught in one of the devil's snares, you want to know, how can I get free again? How can I go on walking with God? How can I grow again? I'm going to tell you. We get free from Satan's snares. We cut that snare away when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ at the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the place of freedom. And when we come to him and submit our lives to him, we are freed by him. Now that's the first step. There may be some more steps you need to take to experience consistent, ongoing freedom, particularly if you've been caught in a snare for a long time. There are more steps you may need to take, and those may vary, but always step number one begins by coming to the cross and there submitting to Jesus Christ's Lordship. And this morning I want to appeal to you that if you are caught in a snare, you come to him and submit your life to him. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the true freedom that there is in Jesus Christ. We have learned this morning that our enemy, Satan, has many snares that he uses to take us captive. And some listening to me right now know in their heart that a snare has captured them. They're not free And they've lost the joy that they once knew. I pray this morning they will take the step necessary to be free. That they will submit their lives to Jesus Christ. And go on from there to experience a renewed freedom and joy that you've made possible for them because of the work of the Savior at the cross. Where he defeated Satan. Before I pray further, I wonder if there is someone here who would honestly say, Pastor, today I sense that my life is in a snare. I am convicted about that. But I also this morning understand and know that Jesus Christ is the the way to be delivered. And I want this morning to come to the cross and there to submit to his lordship in my life. And I give it all to him. If that is your heart's decision, I'm going to ask you just to stand up and to show that you're free. To show that you can make that step that you need to take. That you're not going to be held in bondage any longer. Now you may be coming to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You may be a Christian who's ensnared. But this morning you're saying, by the grace of God, I submit to Jesus Christ today and by my standing I am making that declaration that he is my Lord. And at his cross, I claim my freedom. Will you stand? God bless you. Don't allow the snare to hold you down. Hasn't it held you long enough and robbed you of freedom and joy?
At the cross, there is freedom. Does anyone else wish to stand? Say, this today is my claim. God bless you. Yes. Thank you for standing. You can be seated again once you've stood. Anyone else? I am submitting my life to Jesus Christ today that I may know freedom. Now those of you who have stood, God knows the struggle. He knows the snare. And it would be good for you to be able to share that with someone else. Let me encourage you to do that. If you have a Christian friend that you trust, if you wish to come to the office and talk with one of our pastors, that would be wonderful too. We want to help you to go on beyond this initial step. Thank you, Father, for these who've stood. And I pray for each of them that they may know that initial freedom and joy that comes by submitting to Christ and beyond that, that they may know a walk of freedom as they continue to grow and to learn how to do combat with the enemy. And Father, if there are some who are still content to be held captive to do Satan's will, I pray that they may be given repentance to come to a knowledge of the truth before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.